Amen. Take your Bibles and turn to Exodus chapter 4. We're going to be finishing up our time with uh, the excuses that Moses made about uh, why he shouldn't be the one to be a part of delivering the children of Israel out of Egypt. I was interested as I watched the uh, missions video about what you're doing in Venezuela. When I was pastoring in uh, Weatherford, we had a Oklahoma missions to Oklahoma Baptist Missions to Mexico, and it was started in Panhandle and covered most of the western states, and so there were pastors from the western part of our state that went every year to Mexico and, uh, and took the gospel uh, to one of the places there. And I had in my church a young lady named Jessica. Her mom was my ministry assistant, and Jessica was in college. She eventually ended up on the mission field. Uh, herself, but she was fluent in English and in Spanish, and so she was my interpreter. I I I can't uh, hear very well, and so I I have hearing aids and all that kind of stuff. But I still have a hard time understanding what people are saying. And so we went to uh, Mexico, and and so I would stand there as people were talking, and I'd bounce my head like I understood what they were saying, and I'd grin real big, you know, like I was interested, and then. Um, she would tell me what they said. And then I would speak back and answer, and, and she would tell them what I said. And so that was going really good. She would got me really trained to just wait there, look real interested, bump my head, you know, like I was paying attention or, or understood anything that was going on. And uh, so here, when we got there, these 10 pastors show up, and there's 10 of us from Oklahoma. They're getting ready to take us out to the places where we're going to be serving that week. We were all excited. They were really excited, and they were very animated in their discussion. And I'm standing there looking at them, and Jessica's at my side, and, and I'm just sitting there grinning and bopping my head, and, and then they stop talking. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm sitting there, and I'm looking at them right in the eyes, you know, thinking, well, Jessica's going to start any minute now. And she didn't. So I turned and I said, Jessica, what did they say? And she said, uh, uh, well... Uh, I said, what? What is it? She said, uh, they were speaking English. So, <laughs> I had to apologize and, and try to explain that I really uh, was interested in what they were saying, even though I wasn't paying attention. I wasn't expecting them to be speaking Spanish. And, you know, uh, sometimes um, uh, when, when we're talking, we don't always... Uh, get out what we intend to say or how we intend to say it. And, and so it, it's, it's kind of difficult. And sometimes we know what we're saying, but we don't know what the other people are hearing, right? And so communicating is, is a difficult thing. And Moses is about to explain his next excuse, and his next excuse has to do with communicating. And I know that sometimes I have spoken, and I knew what I was saying, and I, I was confident in what I was saying. I just didn't know my audience. I was pastoring in South Carolina. It snowed once every three years, and it just was a dusting. It, I mean, there is no winter sports in South Carolina. And I was preaching a series on pride and humility. And I was watching the Winter Olympics. Well, first of all, I need to ask. Anybody here ever do any curling? Uh, did you ever play on a team? 
excuse what I'm about to say, okay? Just, just ignore what I'm about to say. I said, and you'll understand why I asked that question in just a moment. I'm apologizing up front. What I did was, I saw that gold medal ceremony for this team, this, this two-man team. And they were standing on the podium, and those two holding those gold medals, they were like, yes, yes. And I said, never underestimate man's ability to be prideful. I mean, if you can be so prideful that you are excited about winning a gold medal because you can sweep ice better than anybody else in the world, <laughs> never underestimate man's ability to be prideful about things. After the service, one of the dearest, sweetest couples in our church came up to me and said, I can't believe you used that curling illustration. I said, well, it was great, wasn't it? I mean, it was awesome. They said, no, no. I said, what? They said, our daughter-in-law is from Canada. For seven years, we've been trying to get her to come to church with us. But all she knows about Baptists is all the negative press that Baptists get. And we told her, you're not that way yet. Our, our pastor is compassionate. He's not that way. He's not judgmental. And, and we got her to come. And Alan, her parents are the coaches for the Canadian Olympic curling team. <laughs> there's, there's no getting out of that. There's no apology that works. I, I dished her dad. And everything she thought about Baptists was right there. She just believed it from that moment on. And to this day, she's never gone back to church with them. It's my fault. It's all my fault. But you can communicate and communicate what you plan to say and still not know your... Listen, nothing harder than communicating, right? I mean, people hear what they want to hear, and, and it may not be what you intend to say, but but they just hear what they want to hear or what they thought they heard. And so when, when Moses gets to this place, I can identify with him a little bit because right here in chapter 4, beginning in verse 10, Mo, Mo, Moses is, is making a real statement here. He's, he's talking about his ability to communicate well uh, in a crowd. And so here's what he says, beginning in verse 10 as we follow up with the fourth of his excuses. But Moses replied to the Lord, Please, Lord, I have never been eloquent, either in the past or recently or since you have been speaking to your servant, because I am slow and hesitant in speech. The Lord said to him, Who made the human mouth? Who made... Him, mute or deaf, seen or blind. Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will be with you, I will help you speak, and I will teach you what to say. Mo Moses is saying, we're, we're, Lord, I get my words mixed up when I speak. I, I, I get my tongue tingled. I, I mean, Lord, I, I have a heart. There's no way I'm going to stand in front of Pharaoh and articulate what it is you've told me to say. I, Lord, I know my abilities and I know my disabilities and I can't do this. I am not eloquent of speech. 
Man, I'm going to tell you, we, we, we have a lot of excuses today, and Moses is making one that, that is often used, and it's a, it's a real excuse. He's saying, I'm, I'm physically not capable of doing this. My skill level is not at the place that it needs to be in order to accomplish what you've asked me to do. My, my abilities and my skills are not there. And you know, the, each of these excuses that Moses offers, that they seem real. They seem realistic. They, they seem real familiar. Maybe too familiar with us, right? Because we, we've all made some type of excuse for doing or not doing what God has called us to do. And, Mo, and Moses is, is just pointing that out. Lord, I am not able physically to do this. And, and God is about to remind Moses that Moses was created uniquely for the purpose by which God was going to use him. So the, the reality is, Moses wasn't the skilled art, art, uh, speaker. He, 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 would, he would stumble over his words. But God wanted Moses to do a particular thing. And the way that God created Moses was the way that God needed Moses to be in order to accomplish what God wanted to do through Moses. When I was pastoring, I had this couple, this, this, this boy and girl, they were twins that were in my church. Donna Ubasket is a, is a gifted talented singer. She has won awards for her, for her gospel singing. She is very, very good at what she does. Very talented in all that she does. In fact, I love to hear her sing. She is just a beautiful spirit inside and vocally. I mean, she, she, when she sings the gospel, you know it's coming right from her heart. But her brother, Ken... Her brother Ken uh, was born second, and he wasn't arriving the right way. So the forceps went in, and he was pulled out, and the forceps caused him to have hydrocephalus. And so while Donna, his twin, was gifted and talented, and she was going to be used by the Lord and wanted to be used by the Lord... Ken had all of that same ambition, but Ken could barely balance himself when he walked. Ken could not articulate well. He, he was not able to get his words out. You'd have to really lean in to hear what Ken was trying to say. And Ken had a great desire. One Sunday he came to me and he asked me, he came down during the invitation, and he said, I, I believe God is calling me to preach. And Ken asked me a question that he had asked me many times and would ask me about every time that he saw me. He said to me there that morning when God was calling him to preach, he said, he said, Brother Allen, can God use a person like me? Can God use a man like me to preach. 
And I said, Ken, if God has called you, He can use you. There would be those occasions on Sunday nights when I would let the different preacher boys that were there at the college, I would let them have the pulpit. And it would rotate around and Ken would get the opportunity to stand behind the pulpit to preach the Word. And when Ken would preach the Word, you, you, you would have a hard time understanding the words that he was trying to say. And you would lean in trying to hear what he was actually trying to say. And there was not much to, to look at in his delivery. There, there wasn't this, this dynamic delivery that would come. There wasn't the passage that, that the, the passage of words that would bring you. But here's what I'm saying. Well, there wasn't a whole lot. And, and the truth be known, it wasn't even a well put together message. That there wasn't anything there. But when Ken Yerbasic preached, the congregation would leave having heard and seen the greatest message that had been delivered in a long time from their pulpit. Because what they knew was while Ken couldn't get it out, Ken had it in him. Ken was a man who loved the Lord his God with all his heart, and with all of his mind, and with all of his soul. He loved the Lord. And while he was physically incapable of, of expressing all that was within him, there was no doubt that he had it. And all of us who had more skill or more ability or more physical agility, we, we would be humbled by his words. Ken never preached as a pastor. But his mom and dad were lost when Donna and Ken accepted Christ in our church there in Weatherford. And Ken would talk to his mama and talk to his daddy. And they were hard-hearted. They were cold towards the gospel. They had been a part of a cult. They had been a part of a, of a movement that, that wasn't Christian at all. And so they were very skeptical but there was no doubt that what Ken and Donna had was real. And over 10 years' time, their mama and their daddy would come to know Christ because of their great faithfulness. I got a call. I was in my office in Oklahoma City, and Donna called me, and she said, Brother Allen, last night, Ken aspirated, and there was nobody at his apartment, and he passed away. Would you do his funeral? As those words were coming off of her mouth, all I could, all I could hear was Ken saying, Brother Allen, can God use a man like me? And I didn't know how it was going to fit into that message that I was going to deliver, but I knew it had to. Because clearly God had done some great things through Ken Ubassett. I got to the church, it's Berry Road Baptist Church in, in Norman. And I got to the church there and, and they were trying to get things ready. And for the family dinner. 
Who does that? And one of the deacons said, Well, that's my bad. Ken does that. So they had to scramble to get the fellowship hall put up for the family dinner. They come back in, and they're scrambling around. Donna has her, has her CDs she wants to sing to, and, and they're trying to find out who runs the sound during the week, during the daytime services, when we have funerals. Who runs the sound? The deacons started tearing up as they stood there, and they realized Ken runs the sound during the day when the sound man is at work. There were, there were three things that happened right there as they were trying to, to host Ken's service that were left undone because Ken wasn't there to do it. I thought to myself, that's it. That, that's the message, isn't it? Ken would say, Brother Allen, can God use a man like me? And all Ken saw was his, his disabilities and his limitations and, and the things that would keep him from being, uh, being looked at as, as comely. His misshaped body. Can God use me? And yet that day... That church could hardly function because he wasn't there to do what he did. You see, everyone in this room, you have different skills. You have different ability levels. You have different likes. You have different dislikes. You have different interests. You, you are drawn in, in, and gifted in, in a lot of different ways. But here's what you need to know. Each one of you, not, not some of you, but each one of you, God has formed you uniquely to accomplish the purpose for the First Baptist Church of Enid. There's nothing in this church that is lacking that God wants to accomplish. He can do it. But it means that every one of you whether it's a job that nobody is looking at, nobody sees, maybe it's getting here early and unlocking the doors and turning on the lights and making sure the heat's on, or maybe it's picking up paper around the hallway. It doesn't have to be some big thing that everybody goes, oh yeah, he's the preacher, he's the singer, he's the teacher. But every one of us should be doing something. And by the way, man, I'm going to tell you, it's not people who are getting the pats on the back that's really moving the gospel forward in our generation. It's the people who are doing what they can for the sake of the gospel. Are we doing all that we can for the glorious sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Every one of us. You say, well, Brother Allen, I'm just going to tell you. There was a day when I worked in the nursery. There was a day when I taught Sunday school. There was a day when I had energy. There was a day when I had ability and opportunity. And in that day, I did lots of things. But, but I'm older now. And, and you'll understand. And I'm getting to understand. You'll understand. You have to slow down a little bit. 
Well, listen to me. You don't even have to get out of your rocking chair to pray earnestly and fervently for the power of God to fall upon His church. The fervent prayer of a righteous person availeth much. It, it, you have a different skills. You have a different ability. You have a different season of life. You have all of that. But nothing is prevented of you doing what you can together to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. God has uniquely sewn you together in a beautiful tapestry that will advance if we all do our part. Do our part. He says, look, I, 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 I might say the wrong thing. I, listen, you can't say the wrong thing if you are doing what God has asked you to do. When, when Cindy and I first got married, we went to Wyndham Baptist Church in northern Texas to be their pastor. And on Sunday, I would do what every young preacher does. I would stand at the back door because I needed affirmation. And I believed everything they told me, Brother John. They'd come out, they say, that's the best sermon. And I'd say, yes, it was, wasn't it? And, and I mean, I just believed there. I needed to believe it. I, I didn't have. And so they'd come out, they'd tell me all this stuff. And I'm standing back there. And by the way, we talk about arrogance. Now, listen, let's just say, preachers are the most arrogant people in the world. And, and to prove that is they stand at the back door waiting for you to come by and tell them how good they did, Right? I mean, who else gets away with that? You go to work this week, and at closing time, you stand at the door and shake hands with everybody and expect them to tell you how good you did that day. Right? I mean, only a preacher gets away with that. But I'm standing there, and I'm glad-handing, and I'm, and I'm doing all that. And, you know, uh, spiritually speaking, I, I was encouraging them in the Lord. But my wife is over on the corner, and Renetta has given my wife a name. And so, as we went to lunch that day, my wife said, hey, this afternoon, we're going to go see this couple. And I said, great, who are they? And she said, well, they just moved in around here. It's a small enough town that we knew somebody had moved into that trailer. We just didn't know who. Renetta knew who it was. She gave us the name, said, would you go by there and visit? And I said, yeah, we'll do that this afternoon before church. And so, that afternoon, uh, we, we got ourselves together and we went over there and I'm driving over there, and Cindy said, Hey, Alan, just for the record, today I'm going to share the gospel with this couple. And I said, No, you ain't. No, no, you're not doing that. I'm the preacher. I'm, I'm going to share the gospel with them. She said, No, no, no. I'm going to share the gospel. Renetta gave me the name. I said, Renetta gave you the name because I was busy. She gave you the name because you're the preacher's wife. You're supposed to give it to me. And she said, no, Alan, I'm going to, I'm going to share the gospel. And so we had a little tit that, but, but we were just newly married. And all of a sudden, she went silent. And I thought that meant I won. That's how dumb I am. I didn't know that women don't fight fair. And so... I'm driving there, and I think I've got this one. And I walk up on that step, and I, my hand is going forward. And as my hand is moving forward towards that metal door, standing on those concrete steps, my hand's moving forward. And Cindy says, as fast as lightning, if it's a woman, I'm going to talk. If it's a man, you can talk. Oh, boom, 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 boom. 
I hadn't agreed to it, but I couldn't argue then because as soon as my hand hit the, this lady opens the door. I thought, oh my goodness. So we walk in. It smells like a perfume factory. I mean, there's candles going off. My nose starts running. My eyes start running immediately. It's, it's just, it, it, I look around and... Um, uh, it it was it was back in the nineties. What what was that? What was that home decor that they that people sold like Tupperware? I mean that's that was all over the place, right? And I'm looking there and I'm thinking and the, the cat runs through. It's female. I'm thinking there's not a man that could possibly live in this house. I, I mean, and so my wife starts talking, and I'm 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 pouting, and so she starts talking, and so we're standing there. And my wife says to this lady, she says, so when are you due? What? And the lady said, um, I'm not pregnant. What? Listen, let me just make something real clear. No man is ever going to ask you that question. Promise you that. We don't want to know. You could be given birth and we're going to ignore it. I mean, we don't want to know. And, and, and how do you recover from that? About that time, this man walks out of the bedroom. And being the compassionate husband that I am and knowing that my wife has just ruined her opportunity, I said, hey, why don't we go in the kitchen and have a conversation while our wives finish theirs? I'm going to save the day. I'm going to win this man to the Lord. We go in the kitchen. I share the gospel. Nothing. He, he, do, he doesn't respond. Right after I start talking, I hear the front door open and shut. And, and I'm thinking, now, Lord, because we were newly married. And I'm thinking, now, Lord, go easy on Cindy. She doesn't really know yet that she's supposed to obey. You know, that was just in the service. You know, she didn't know that was a real thing. That she's supposed to listen to me and do what I, you know. And I'm just thinking, she's out in the truck saying, I should have listened to Alan. That's, what I, that's, that's the world I had made up. And so after I finished the gospel and he said that he, I asked him, has anything like this ever happened to you? And he said, no. I said, would you like to give your life to Christ right now? And he said, no, I think I'm going to wait. And, I, and so I, I went, I just reiterated one more time to the high points of the gospel. And he said, no, I'm just not ready. I said, okay. So we get up, and he walks me out, and I, as we get to that door, and we open that metal door, looking at those concrete steps right there, we look out, and my wife and his wife are getting up off their knees, and tears coming down both of their faces. And my wife looks at him and says, Sir, your wife just gave her life to Jesus Christ. Has anything like that ever happened to you? He starts crying. He says, no, ma'am, nothing. She said, is there anything to prevent you from getting on your knees right now and calling upon Christ? And he said, I can't think of anything. And he, I'm going, wait a minute. This is not fair. Now, God, I don't know how this works, but I get half of that jewel in my crown because I laid some great groundwork. I presented a seminary thesis on how to come to Christ in that kitchen. And my wife, she just said, get on your knees and pray. And he said, yes. I, I know I had to have been a part of that, Lord. Here's what I learned in that moment. When you go... To do what God has called you to do. 
It really doesn't matter how you say it, as long as you say it. You can't say the wrong thing. Because if you can ask a woman when she's due, and she's not pregnant, and lead her and her husband to faith in Christ in the same witness, you can't say the wrong things. Moses just needed to go. You know what? We live in a generation where our churches are declining. We live in a generation where we are baptizing fewer people than we have in over 60 years from year to year. And you know what I think it is? I think it's because we have said, I can't. I can't. The vast majority of Southern Baptists have never attempted to share the gospel with a lost person. And yet, Jesus said, that's why he left us here is to take the gospel to the lost. He said, I came to seek and to save that which is lost. He tells us to go and do the same. I wish it was just a problem in the pulpit, I mean in the pew, but it is a problem in the pulpit. Over 90% of pastors a few years ago, Lifeway did a double-blind survey, and were asked, How many times have you shared the gospel one-on-one with a lost person in the last year? And over 90% said zero. If our pulpits aren't proclaiming, then it's no wonder that our pews aren't proclaiming. Moses gets down and he says, finally, he says, okay, look. My excuses haven't moved the needle with you. I tried. And boy, by the way, we all try our excuses. But God's not dissuaded by our, by our excuses. He still has commissioned us to go. And Moses finally says what he really means. I don't want to go. Look what it says. Verse 13. Moses said, please, Lord, send Someone else. Send someone else. Moses said, God, I've given all my excuses, but my heart is, I don't want to go. God said, Moses, you're still going to go, but I'm going to send somebody to go with you. You're not going to go alone. He said, Aaron, your brother. Aaron had to be at least three years older than Moses. You know how come we know that? Because he was an older brother. And there was an edict that said that the Hebrew children, male children would be put to death. So if Aaron was alive, it had to happen at least three years prior to the birth of, of, uh, of Moses. So Aaron's coming down the road, and God says to, 
to him says, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to speak to you, and you're going to speak to Aaron, and Aaron will speak to the people, and they will hear me. Now, I want to tell you something. We don't ever go alone. Because here's what's going to happen. God's going to speak to you. And if you're willing to go, He'll speak to you. The Holy Spirit will speak through you to them. And they will hear God. You'll use your words. God will use the words of His Spirit into their heart. And they will hear the heart of God in that moment. We are without excuse. The hour is upon us. The day is late. It's time for us to rise up and be the church. Active in advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ in our world. There's nothing lacking except our obedience. Let's stand with our heads bowed. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit has been active over these last three weeks, working in our hearts, moving us, renewing us, reigniting the fire of the gospel within us, that our passion for you would would burn and our desires for your presence would, would simmer inside of us. And Lord, that we would desire more than anything to be in your presence and to have you satisfied with our actions. God, I pray that those in the church who have heard your voice, God, that they would cry out to you and that they would recommit themselves afresh and anew to the work of the gospel that you have left us to do. Hear their call. Hear their cry. Hear their recommitments. And Lord, I pray for those who who have never called upon you. May they they be reminded that, that the gospel is about being reconciled with you. And having your presence in our heart and in our lives. And that we would have fellowship with the God who created us. And may your spirit draw them to you and to your salvation. And Father, may they come and cry out to you, asking for forgiveness of their sin and asking you to take control of their life and be the leader of their life and to live within them for your glory. God, in this invitation, help us to respond obediently to your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As God's Spirit has spoken to you, you come today, respond to Him.